Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode, and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation, and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Drop Beckham back into this. There's no reason to think they can't be a top-five offense next year. And if you're a top-five offense, what do you need your defense to be to be a contender, most likely? You need them to be average. And in year two, when you get hopefully Greedy Williams and Grant Delpit and Denzel Ward back healthy and you get another year in the system and another year of them being able to turn over some of the defensive personnel, it's not hard to imagine at all this team being a real Super Bowl contender next season. All right, well, welcome into a new episode of the Rebuild Podcast. Uh, very happy to have my guest today, Robert Mays, formerly of The Ringer, now with The Athletic, um, who wrote a really great article. I tweeted it out yesterday on The Athletic. If you haven't read it yet and you're a Browns fan, you need to do so immediately. Entitled, Is Baker Mayfield's Recent Development for the Browns Real or a Mirage? A uh, really good look at kind of where Baker has been uh, in terms of his rookie season until now and the pairing with Stefanski. And kind of, yeah, like is Baker's development in this system something to really get excited about or there's still reservations the Browns ha- uh, fans should have, which I really think kind of taps into the, the conversation that's been going on in Cleveland all year. So highly recommend the read and thrilled to have Robert on. Robert, man, how's it going? I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's cool to, you know, obviously I have followed your stuff for a long time, and um, but it's always cool when, you know, you get to take some time for us as Browns fans and people that follow the Browns to kind of read your your take on them, especially, you know, where the Browns are right now as they sort of sit at 9-4. and four. It's been a pretty wild season in terms of just, you know, I think a lot of us thought that maybe this was what was supposed to happen last season um, in terms of the amount of talent that the Browns had and Baker kind of coming off this really fantastic rookie year that had a lot of us in Cleveland thinking like, okay, this is for sure the guy, like no doubt in my mind. And then, you know, 2019 happened. They probably didn't have the right coaching staff in place as we've seen this season. Um, and things kind of went by the wayside and there was a lot of sort of uncertainty about Baker, but I kind of wanted to start with, you know, Kevin Stefanski because he gets hired uh, coming over for the Minnesota Vikings where he really spent you know, one year as their official offensive coordinator, I think the year before, um, you know, he was their interim offensive coordinator for, I think, four or five games toward the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Worked really, really closely with Gary Kubiak. Like, just a guy, though, that to me was, like, super under the radar. I would be lying to you if I said I knew who Stefanski was before he became the offensive coordinator for Minnesota. Um, and he was in that organization for a long time, like, since 2006, taking on various roles, like, quarterback's coach. And, like, I think he was, like, the running back's coach. Like, he did, like, a bunch of different stuff in Minnesota before he sort of rose to offensive coordinator. Did you – were you aware of Stefanski sort of before he – took over as official offensive coordinator in 2019. And just like, did you expect the sort of success from him um, that he's kind of come in and shown this season as a first year head coach? So I, the first time I met Kevin was probably 20, 
2018 or maybe it might have even been 2017. They were he was the quarterbacks coach in Minnesota, so I knew who he was. And his background, like you mentioned, is so interesting because he doesn't come from one particular school of thought or coaching tree. And I think it served him well, and I'll and I'll explain why. I feel like a lot of coaches come up with one particular style of offense or system that they know really well, and they can get bogged down within that system. And I think the fact that Kevin was in Minnesota for so long and went through several different coaching staffs and iterations of offense and all of that has given him a really well-rounded view on offensive football in the NFL in general. And I sat down with him in 2019 for a series I was doing about first-year play callers in the NFL because I think that if you look at what happened in 2019, about half the league turned over their offensive play caller. And I think, in my opinion, it was kind of the Sean McVayification of football is when all these teams were seeking out these new hotshot offensive play callers. And now when I brought that up to McVay, that 15 of them had turned over, I don't know if I can swear on this show, but he said to me, you know, no shit. <laughs> like it, he was, he really wasn't, he was surprised that it had been that much. And he was, and I, I think everyone was. So Stefanski was one of those guys. And I sat down with him and we were talking about the offense they were going to run in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins that year. And he told me a story that I think is really telling and interesting. In, in 2009, when he was a quality control coach in Minnesota or some low-level assistant, they do projects in the offseason. You know, you hear this from all coaching staffs. They'll go back and watch you know, so-and-so's blank stuff. So, like, I'm watching the Chiefs screen game, or every screen they ran. And so he went back and he studied all of the keepers that the Texans ran under Gary Kubiak. And he just fell in love with it. He loved how it got quarterbacks into open space and how it created throwing windows. And he just felt it was a really great way to orient your offense for any quarterback. And so when he got his full-time job or when he knew he was going to as an offensive coordinator, he knew that's the system he wanted to run. And it just so happened that the Vikings hired Gary Kubiak as an offensive assistant. And so Kevin, who is already into this type of offense now has the architect of that offense as a resource down the hall from him to bounce certain stuff off of. So when he got hired by the Browns, I thought it was a great hire based on a few different things. One, the success we saw him have in Minnesota last year. That offense was explosive. It was efficient. It was a very good offense that really only had Kirk Cousins, Stephon Diggs, and not much else past uh, receiving talent. I think you saw the space created in the play-action game, and they were the most productive screen game in the NFL. I tend to think that the best coaches are the ones who do a great job creating easy yardage for their quarterbacks. And you can make an argument that in 2019, Kevin Stefanski did that maybe more than any other coach in the league not named Kyle Shanahan. So, And also, coming from, again, that strange background where you've seen all these different systems, I thought that as someone who has talked to him a few different times in my life, I think that he was, even before he got hired, I construed him as an open-minded, innovative person. And those are the two aspects you would want as a head coach. And I think that we have seen every bit of that come to fruition in the success that he has had with this offense and with Baker Mayfield. It's a very, very long answer, and I apologize for it. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, I appreciate uh, I appreciate that insight. That's a really cool story. Um, yeah, I think we all – 
you know, have, have read things about how much he looked up to Gary Kubiak and, and getting to work with him in Minnesota. Um, but it's cool to sort of hear the, or it's sort of like Kevin's origin story of, of the offense that he sort of settled on that, that he really loves. And I think, you know, something that was really fascinating to me in your article was just like how eerily similar Baker's numbers are to Kirk Cousins, especially when you break it down into like, you know, off of bootlegs and off of play action, um, and how, how close their numbers are and just, the things that Stefanski has taken that he was successful at in Minnesota with Kirk in 2019 and really implemented that into, um, into the Browns sort of offense. And I think like the screen thing is really interesting. You, you mentioned one, um, the, the tight end screen to David and Joku against the Ravens, um, on their first drive after, you know, I think it was a second and 10 and, um, that really sort of opened things up for that offense on that first drive, which I thought was a great play call, but it, the screens pop up in like really big times, like, all over the place in this Brown season. I think um, if I'm not mistaken, they ran a screen to Nick Chubb that basically um, secured their win over Jacksonville a couple weeks right. ago. Um, and they get... ran the same screen to the other side against the Ravens last week. Yep. So it's, it, it really, he is unafraid to go to it. Um, and I mean, the success rate feels like just from the eye test that it's been really, really high. Like they're picking up chunks of yards and they even, you know, they ran that play. It was essentially a screen, but where, you know, you, you involve Jarvis Landry where it looks like he's going to throw the ball downfield as he's done the season. And then he turns back and throws it across to the other side to Chubb and, and he's got blockers in front of him. So really just creative stuff there. Um, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, people talked about, I think one of the biggest questions was Stefanski when he came in was this thing of like, okay, because the Vikings obviously, ran the ball a ton. They had Dalvin Cook, one of the best runners in um, the NFL. But people, I think if there was a criticism for the Vikings offense at times over the past couple of years, it's just been how Mike Zimmer just really, really was like, okay, let's get that. We got to run the ball like way more than we are. We got to do this. And people were like, okay, was this, was this Zimmer's influence on Stefanski? Does Stefanski like love running the ball this much as well? And I mean, I think we've all seen that Stefanski loves, loves the run and it's a huge part of the Browns offense. But I think, I think some of those fears have been quelled a little bit in Cleveland in that, you know, he, he has married the run with the setting up the play action and, and a lot of other things that they do. Um, I'm curious if you sort of thought like if that criticism was valid at all in, in Minnesota, if it, if you felt like they, they spent too much time on the run and sort of how you've seen Stefanski kind of maybe tweak that a little bit as he's come to Cleveland. I think that if you look at the way the offense was oriented in Minnesota, running the ball wasn't, a detriment to them, to their efficiency. And I think it's the same thing with the Browns. They run the ball a lot. I'm looking at it right now. I think they have the seventh highest neutral uh, situation run frequency in the NFL, just ahead of the Vikings, ironically enough. And that is okay if you have an efficient running game and it doesn't hamper your offense. I feel like, like what I was getting at before in the sense of being open-minded, I think that Stefanski's not going to fight the tide if something is working and it's the easiest way to create yardage and build a successful offense, I think he's going to do it. And I think that's what you've seen from this offense. They're not running to the point that it's putting them in negative down and distance situations very often because the running game is efficient. Now Baker has faced, I think uh, as a team, they faced 75 third and six or more dropbacks in the entire, over the entire season. That is, that ranks 27th in the NFL. So very often they're still in third and manageable spots. And this is an offense that consistently creates shot plays and chunks. So I think it's okay to run the ball a lot. 
if it's not hampering your overall offensive efficiency and it's not with the Browns because of how many explosive explosive they create in other ways. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. Um I think we can, you know, get sometimes a little caught up in like yeah, obviously, you know, like passing the ball is a more efficient way to move the ball downfield than running the ball. And if you look at, you know, rush EPA and, and passing EPA, obviously it's like if you have a day where it's like a positive overall rush EPA, it's like it can be a bit of a rare thing in the NFL. Like it is just, you know, moving the ball through the air is just the more efficient way. But when you look at like taking the run in the way that I think Stefanski has done it, and obviously the Browns have two incredibly talented running backs that offer sort of different styles, it, it – you know, the use of them sort of unlocks the Browns' entire offense. And um, I think it's been a um, – it's really been, I think, fantastic to watch. And I, I think for people who just sort of thought of Stefanski and the only thing they knew about him was like, oh, well, the Vikings, you know, are one of the most run-heavy teams in the NFL where he was coming from. And, and maybe we're a little bit worried about that. I think, like, pretty quickly, I think Kevin showed that um, it, it, it's something that's a, a part of the bigger offense overall rather than just, like, I'm just going to hand this off because I want to. Two thousand twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is crucial. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps find you quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore's total visits, so it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for Hire. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. You know, I think that kind of transitions into the other part of your article, which was basically, you know, Baker in this Stefanski offense. And I think, I think we've seen since the bye week, and, and you wrote about this too, once they got out of that just horrendous three game stretch of, of Cleveland weather in early to late November, <laughs> uh, as Clevelanders all know and understand, um, you know, and they got, and they get into Jacksonville. You know, he's really been, I think, probably three of his best games uh, of the season against Jacksonville, Tennessee, um, and then Baltimore, even in a loss. Um, and you wrote about the things that, you know, Stefanski has sort of allowed him to get comfortable with. And and I think one of those was, you know, the bootleg out to the left. Um, and I think I didn't even realize it until sort of reading your article, like how often the Browns do that and how it's kind of a counter to one of the things that he's really struggled with, especially last season in terms of bailing out to the right um, when he sort of gets nervous in the pocket or, you know, his first read isn't there. And, 
you know, so to you is sort of that, and maybe we start there a little bit, but has that been one of the biggest sort of adjustments you've seen just in terms of like a coach working with a quarterback in terms of Stefanski and Baker to really sort of maybe try to take away and mask one of those weaknesses by kind of doing the opposite thing where it's like, hey, we're going to get you on the move and we're going to get you on the move the other way so that maybe like that fights a little bit of your uh, natural tendency to want to escape to the right. I thought that was really, really interesting. To me, it's a perfect fix for Baker Mayfield specifically. All quarterbacks are going to be more successful on play action. And with this structure of the boot game that the that Stefanski has, very successful on those plays. I think Kirk Cousins averaged over 12 yards per attempt on boots to the left last season. And he creates explosive shots off of him. So the numbers are always going to be there. But I thought it was particularly important for Baker Mayfield, not only because it took him the opposite direction of what we had seen so often, but it creates structure. These sorts of play-action throws and the boots off of play-action throws specifically build structure for your quarterback. It doesn't allow him to be left to his own devices within the pocket in his own head. And I think that's the biggest thing that Stefanski has done is he's created this structure for his quarterback that doesn't allow him. There's a certain rigidity to it, and that can be bad. And when teams are, when you're in a negative game script or teams are taking that away, whatever. And that's a different conversation. But I think as an overarching principle and an underlying value system for how you create your offense, it is the perfect fit for what Baker Mayfield needed. And it's why I was excited about the marriage between those two guys coming into the season, because I just thought this was going to put some training wheels or some whatever you want to say and never, never, you know, metaphor structurally you want to use for a guy that desperately needed it. He absolutely desperately needed it. I think, you know, you talk about structure in terms of an offense, in terms of just, you know, an identity of an offense and like knowing every Sunday what you want to do in your game plan. And I, I don't think that was something the Browns had by all reports um, last season under Freddie Kitchens, especially once they got outside of the opening game script. Um, so has your... Robert, especially this season and even maybe from week one, Baker's certainly had a bit of a roller coaster season, especially early on, but it seems like he's sort of settled into, um, settled, really settled into this offense over the, you know, since the bye. But like, have, have what you thought of Baker as like the quarterback he can be, um, has that changed at all since that opening week where they got blown out by Baltimore? Um, you know, to kind of bookend it now with the loss on Monday night against Baltimore, but where Baker obviously looked like a completely different quarterback than he was in week one and the Browns, you know, had the lead for in, in, at the end of that game and, um, you know, gave a little bit too much time to, to the wonder kind that is Lamar Jackson at the end there. But like, has your sort of thoughts of like Baker's ceiling and, and what he can be? And I know this is something you touched on in the article in terms of like, we probably don't 100% know yet, but that picture is starting to form. How much has your opinion changed of Baker since since week one to now? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. Um, my opinion, in, in what's changed is he's cr- he's cleared the bar to me of a guy who can pilot a successful offense. And that may seem like an overly generic way of framing this, but I think that's important. He is no longer someone, in my opinion, that is going to torpedo what you can you want to do offensively. And after that first week against Baltimore, it's one week. But at the same time, you spend this entire offseason hoping that Kevin Stefanski is going to be able to reignite Baker Mayfield and turn him around and all this stuff. And then you watch that game and you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Like, what the hell is happening here? So in that moment, you're still kind of scared because some of those things that 
really doomed him last year were cropping up again. And it's just like, oh, man, I really don't know what's going to happen here. And then watching what he's done over the last couple of months, I think what's, that's what it's done. It's made me, it's led me to believe that he's somebody who can be the quarterback of a successful NFL offense. If you put him in the right spots, he's capable of maximizing it. He has a lot of talent. I think that his behavior and his attitude and his mindset and a lot of stuff is beneficial to what they want to do. All of that stuff. I think that's what's been most encouraging is that dropped into the right circumstances, he can be successful. And that may seem, not seem like effusive praise for a quarterback, but I think clearing that bar is a really important step for most guys. Because if we're being honest, most quarterbacks fall into the middle class of the position. There are probably four to five guys at the top that would be successful no matter where you put them. And that list most likely comprises Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, you know, and I don't know who, and Russell Wilson probably. I think that's probably the list of the four guys that no matter what, they're going to be good. There are probably eight, ten guys, eight to ten guys at the end that are probably not going to be good quarterbacks. In the middle is a group that is dependent and rises, rises and falls on their circumstances. And this season has proven to me, at least, that with the right circumstances, Baker Mayfield can be a just malleable, workable NFL quarterback. Yeah, and I, I think if you just look at some of the, you know, most recent, you know, Super Bowl appearances by a couple teams, um, you know, if you look at the Rams and Jared Goff, and if you look at, you know, what Kyle Shanahan and, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo were able to do last season. Now, obviously, like, the, both those teams have much better defenses than the Browns right now. And the Browns, I think, are going to spend a lot of the offseason and the draft probably addressing that defense um, ahead of 2021. But, like, you know, I think because Baker has the number one pick, you know, attached to his name and because he came out, um, you know, as a rookie and just really showed off an arm talent and an accuracy that like, you know, people in Cleveland, like that's just not something we've ever seen from a quarterback <laughs> that the Browns have ever had. So it was this whole, this hype train started moving very, very quickly. And I think people were like, well, you know, who knows if he'll ever be Patrick Mahomes, but like, this guy looks like he's has the skill set to be one of those tier one quarterbacks. And I think, like you said, sometimes you got to zoom out a little bit and be like, look, he's, if he's not Deshaun and he's not, I mean, you know, the Deshaun thing, obviously for both of us as, as fans of two teams that passed on Deshaun Watson, like that one will probably always sting a little bit, but it's like, I think you're right. Like there's these four guys that kind of transcend, you know, systems and coaches and all that. Like they are just these, incredibly talented quarterbacks and then you do have this middle class but I think you see all the time that there are years where these middle class quarterbacks if they're operating an offense correctly um, you know and you look at I think you know McVay and Shanahan are two guys that are going to make these really friendly offenses where you don't need your quarterback to do these huge huge things for them to be successful and I think like it's just sometimes okay to be like, okay, well, you know, maybe Baker's not going to be tier one, but if he's in tier two or like tier three where you have enough talent around him and he is operating Stefanski's offense, like I think we've seen, you know, what the Browns offense can be. And I think sometimes it's like, it's okay to kind of maybe think about it in those terms. It's totally okay. And you, you need a well-rounded team to succeed with that type of quarterback. But I think the Browns have a well-rounded team. This is an infrastructure and a set of players and a supporting cast that's up there with any in the league. And I think that 
there's going to be a lot of conversations about, well, he didn't gel with Odell Beckham and all of this other stuff. They were playing with each other in the beginning of the season when they had two nightmare games against the Steelers and the, and the Ravens. Baker's clearly gotten better. Odell Beckham in this offense does not make the Browns worse. I think that's a silly thing to consider. If you plug him into what they're doing right now, I think you'd see a lot of explosive plays and a lot of excitement. So the supporting cast next year, if it's going to include Landry, Beckham, Richard Higgins again, these running backs, the offensive line, it's back. And I think that that's important to understand. If they can be – right now they're the 10th best offense in the NFL, I think, by EPA and DVOA and things of that nature. Take out the four games they played in blizzards and windstorms and everything else and drop Beckham back into this. There's no reason to think they can't be a top five offense next year. And if you're a top five offense, what do you need your defense to be to be a contender most likely? You need them to be average. And in year two, when you get hopefully Greedy Williams and Grant Delpit and Denzel Ward back healthy and you get another year in the system and another year of them being able to turn over some of the defensive personnel – it's not hard to imagine at all this team being a real Super Bowl contender next season. It doesn't even require that much of a leap of faith. So I think that comparing him to Goff and Garoppolo and Tannehill and Cousins, he's right in that group of quarterbacks. And they all have specific quirks. You know, Tannehill will deliver a rocket with pressure in his face while he's getting crushed. It's like one of his best skills. He's also efficiently mobile in a way that Cousins and Goff aren't. Baker has some of that efficient mobility, but he can't really deliver those throws under pressure the way Tannehill can. Goff is a more talented thrower. I think Cousins is a little bit more accurate. They all have these tiny little gaps between them, but for the most part, they fall into a similar category, and that's okay. It's okay to be in that category of quarterback because it's a category you can win with. Football is back and in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I do think it is really just amazing to see a... Because especially in Cleveland, there's just been such a, a lack of this. Not only sort of... Stefanski's, I think, leadership, which, which I think has been really interesting because, you know, he kind of comes off as this kind of quiet, like not very emotional guy at all. But we've seen some of the clips of him in the locker room after the game, um, some mic'd up of him during games. Like, you know, he's a guy that sort of has gotten me kind of hype a couple of times. Like he, <laughs> I think he is a better communicator and leader of a team than I think initially, you know, when you first kind of hear some, um, press clippings of him uh, than I thought he would be. But it really is just amazing to to watch someone design an offense that just makes things easy on a quarterback. And I, you know, I think because, you know, for most of my life, the team I've been most tuned into is the Browns. So, you know, you see these things happening elsewhere, but you just don't see it as much um, really at all in Cleveland. And, and the difference that it's made for a guy to come in and say, here's what Baker does well. Here's what we want to, you know, uh, 
we want to make part of our offense and here's what he doesn't do well and how do we mask these things like it is just a really incredibly refreshing thing and I know it's happening more and more as kind of like guys get hired that are just creative and smart minds and know how to do it. But it really has been fascinating to watch Stefanski with a shortened off season with no preseason games and any of that, like come in and really, you know, outside of that week one debacle and, and really the Steelers debacle, like just really make this an offense where, you know, now all of a sudden, I think a lot of our feelings where we were nervous about, okay, like is Baker Mayfield the guy? Is this something we're going to have to like seriously consider moving on from at the end of the season to like, I don't think there's any question anymore about, you know, picking up his option and, and sort of having him here for, for the long run. And it, and it really has just kind of been fascinating to watch. It's, I feel like it's the off season thing is a great point. And that's one of the, things I would point to as a reason for optimism. I didn't really write much about that in the piece that I wrote. It was more rooted in the now. But if you're a Browns fan, you could live with the guy he is right now and still be a really good offense. And there's a chance that with a full season in this system, with a little bit more of a feel for some of the drop back game and just an ability to beat the blitz with his brain and the decisions that he's making, and that could alleviate some of the issues he has when the walls start closing in and when he gets pressure. So there's a chance that we're going to see an even better version of Baker Mayfield a year from now. He's 25 years old. He's not a young quarterback necessarily. But in terms of his football experience, he is young. He didn't do any of this stuff at Oklahoma. The offense they ran over the last two years was not at all like the one he's running right now. Mentally, he's almost like a rookie in a lot of ways. And I think it's really important to understand that when thinking about how good he could get. So I totally agree. I think that they've found a situation that works for him and it's very likely in my mind that it's only going to get better as he develops an understanding of the nuances of some of the drop back aspects that he continues to struggle with right now. For sure. And I, I think we can sort of, and maybe end it on this too. It's like, and, and I don't, you know, there be people, there are a lot of, um, I've come to find on Twitter that um, saying negative things about Baker Mayfield really stirs up a hornet's nest that I wasn't fully aware existed. I didn't know his fan base had become, <laughs> had become such a big thing, and I have found that out uh, multiple times this season. But if there was one thing, and and you touch on a couple things in in your article, but that would give you that give that still gives you pause about Baker and still makes you a little bit worried that even as another year in Stefanski's system, and even as he kind of grows with this offense, that one trait of his that he really just struggles with um, that kind of really maybe sets off, maybe not as loud anymore, but still a little bit of an alarm. What What is the one thing um, with Baker that, that you see that is the number one struggle that if he could really just put away and really just completely fix, he maybe he could, you know, ascend to a, a higher tier, but that maybe is just going to be a part of sort of his game uh, kind of moving forward. Uh, it's just the way he handles pressure. And when you can tell when there are people around him and when the things get a little bit in close quarters in the pocket, he starts to panic. He gets jittery and he plays a little bit frenetic and he tries to escape. And that could be for a few different reasons. I think he's small. And when he can't see, I think he gets a little bit in his own head and starts to do everything he can to create windows for himself. And that's why you see the drifting to the right that he does. But you see it. You know, he does not have a calmness about himself in the pocket. There, it's a, there's a frenetic way to the style that he has. And that's the concern because we have not seen that many quarterbacks succeed with that volatility to their game. And I think that sometimes it plays into his advantage because it allows him to create second reaction plays in a way that some of those guys like Goff and Cousins cannot. 
But at the other, on the other side of it, it also dooms him fairly often. So that is definitely the one aspect of his game that I think might be an issue. And the problem with that aspect is it's usually something you either have or you don't. Guys don't get better at that part of their game very often. It's kind of like accuracy. There are very few outliers that are improved that over the course of their career. So that would be my concern is that in the dropback game, you just don't see him deal with pressure that often. And I think teams are going to keep bringing heat against him to combat that. And that's why you see the screen games working so well. They need answers to pressure that aren't screens. And right now I think Baker Mayfield struggles to give them those. Yeah. And um, I'm going to be really interested in this final game against the Steelers. Now, I don't know, you know, if the Steelers will be resting people or like what, what the situation will be, but um, that defense obviously wreaked havoc on Baker um, when, when they met earlier this season. And it will be interesting because I think Baker, obviously from, you know, his first game against the Ravens defense to Monday night, obviously made a big leap, but I think, you know, that Steelers defense remains on another level and um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see because I think those are the type of defenses that both the Ravens and the Steelers where, you know, they can, they just have so many sort of hybrid defenders where, you know, whether it's Minka Fitzpatrick or like, you know, um, TJ Watt, who you can, he can rush the passer, he can drop back into throwing lanes or, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick can like play the robber and like come up and Baker doesn't expect it. Like they can just do those things while getting pressure. And those are the defenses. I mean, everybody in the league struggles against that, but I think Baker very specifically struggles against those types of defenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I think that matchup is still, whether or not, you know, it, it has this sort of you know, playoff seating implications or, or not. Um, I think the Browns will probably have a spot. Now, hopefully <laughs> we'll have a spot wrapped up by then. And it probably won't mean as much as it, as it maybe could, but like those are the defenses that I think Baker really struggles with. Um, and, and I think those are always going to be a huge test for him, especially like you mentioned with the pressure. I almost hope that there's something on the line just so we I see do too, that measuring stick. And it's, it, there's a chance. I mean, now at the game against the Ravens, if that goes differently, then who knows? Because they could potentially be playing to win the division that day if they, you know, if some things go, a couple things go their way. But now they're two games back. If the Steelers would have to take a serious turn for that to happen. But I hope that there's something to play for because I would love to just see what he looks like against that defense and have a better understanding of what he's able to deal with before we get to the playoffs. But I don't want this to seem like a – pessimistic, you know, I don't know, I'm not sold on Baker conversation yet. I think that for the most part, fans of the Browns have to be extremely excited about what they've seen and the direction that things are heading, even if there are still a couple elements to his game where we need to see a little bit more. Yeah, I feel I feel very much the same, and I agree with you. I think, you know, halfway through the season, I was nervous, and, um, you know, we were talking about, okay, well, like, what are the Browns' other options if they don't want to pick up Baker's option? Like, where would they even go? What other quarterbacks would they look at? Just because, you know, those things that you, you wrote about, he was really, really struggling with. And I, I do think that um, we forget how little time, he, like you mentioned, he's had in this offense and, and how little time he's had to – yeah, he's like a rookie in, in this scheme, and it's not something he's run before. And I, I do think you're really starting to see him get more comfortable. I think it's easy to see with Baker, like, when he's confident and when he's not thinking as much and he's just letting the ball go. And I think, like, you can really – I thought the Tennessee game was like, he was just ripping it. Like every time there was no hesitation. He knew what he was seeing. And like, I think when you see that from Baker, you know, he's in a good place and it's kind of happened multiple weeks in a row. So um, I'm kind of right there with you, Robert. Thank you so much for joining me, man. Appreciate 
all the insight. Again, if you haven't read Robert's piece, um, I linked to it on my Twitter page. It's on The Athletic. Is Baker Mayfield's recent development for the Browns real a mirage? And um, if you're not following Robert on Twitter, he's at Robert Mays, um, one of the one of the best NFL writers out there. So, Robert, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Thanks a lot, bud. I really appreciate the time. All right. Thanks, Ben.